Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I lived in the suburbs on a cul-de-sac, where across the road was a forest which eventually backed up onto a river. 
One late night around midnight, my dog was scratching at the front door, wanting to be let out to pee. Usually I'd just let her out in the backyard, but it being a nice summer night anyway, I put her on a leash and walked her across the street to the forest so she could do her business. But as soon as we got across the street, she started tugging on the leash and growling, looking towards the forest. I looked up and noticed a dozen twinkling lights coming from the otherwise pitch black forest, as if people were shining flashlights in my direction. Freaked out, I picked my dog up and ran all the way home, locking the door behind me. The next part is going to sound like a complete lie, but I really could not make this shit up. It's haunted me for years, so if anyone has any explanation as to what I witnessed, please help me out. I ran up to my bedroom which had a pretty good view of the forest, and I began watching out my window. I saw about a dozen men walk out of the forest carrying flashlights. They looked like they were wearing suits, but the only light I had was a street lamp, so they may have just been wearing full black outfits. A couple of them held briefcases, and about four of them were carrying a door. Yep. Just a random door off of its hinges. Then, trailing behind them, was a woman in a white dress. They walked to the middle of the cul-de-sac, where the girl proceeded to lift up her dress, squat, and pee in the middle of the street. It was then that my neighbor down the road, who am guessing saw the flashlights through his window, started screaming hey. What the f are you doing? Calmly, the group of people turned around, walked down the cul-de-sac, across the street, and back into the forest. I remember waking up my parents, who truly believed I had just had a bad dream until the next morning, when all of our neighbors were outside talking about the occurrence. I remember word traveled around the block, and then everyone at my high school was talking about it. I don't remember if anyone got law enforcement into it, but it was a pretty big topic for weeks. I never saw these people again. There were rumors like that they were a cult, vampires, time travelers, etc. I don't really believe in that shit, so I really have no clue what to say about it. On Saturday, September 9, 2023, my wife and I were driving north on US 24 at Rice Lake, Illinois. It was about 7.45 p.m. And dusk was setting in. Without a warning, a large, maybe seven-foot-tall, light-colored hairy upright creature crossed in front of us, right to left, at a distance of 150 feet or so. The creature literally crossed the highway in two to three seconds. Both of us got a very good look at it. There was a pickup truck in the other lane at the time and this creature crossed directly in front of it. There is no way that they missed seeing it. In fact, when I passed the pickup after the crossing the man gained speed and didn't look in our direction. We both believe that we witnessed a Bigfoot. I have lived in Illinois all my life and never believed in the sightings. But now I am somewhat confused by what we saw. I asked a few acquaintances about our sighting, but they didn't want to speculate. One friend suggested I contact you after searching Google. The creature was massive in the body and the hair was light in color, kind of a dirty blonde hue. I want to remain anonymous, but thought that it was important to report our sighting. Thank you. This happened just last night and I'm still pretty creeped out. 
I was heading home from work on my bike, not hiking I know, but whatever. I work from 2 to 11 so I head home on the late side every night. I was riding through the harbor to my house when I hear just the loudest most ungodly shriek I can imagine behind me. I'm going pretty fast so I don't worry about it too much, probably just a weird homeless person I can easily outpace. Then I hear it again, but it's coming from somewhere totally different. The first one was behind me, this one was sort of ahead to the left. Every time I hear this it seriously sounds like a person being murdered or something. I lost count of how many different screams I was hearing at around 8 different sources. Naturally I'm booking it at this point, but here's the thing. My bike is old, and not in great shape. It has a tendency to jump the chain when I shift too heavily. This, paired with the fact that getting out of the harbor requires a fairly steep climb, I was just about shitting myself. I don't know if I was actually being chased, but it sure as hell felt like it. The freakiest part was when I was just getting up to the top of the hill outside the harbor, I look back. I wear a head-mounted light at night for safety. I whip around, and see probably five or six pairs of eyes reflecting the light back at me, but whatever they belonged to was just out of the cone of bright light. I think they were dogs. At least that's what I keep telling myself. But goddamn those screams seriously scared me more than I've been in years. A few nights ago, I was outside smoking in the cool, night air. About halfway through settling my nicotine demons, I heard a faint, so faint that it was almost non-existent, knocking sound. Just a few, slow taps, like a kid hitting a tree with a stick. Seeming how I live right next to a thick wooded area, I shrugged it off as some animal. A few moments tapped when I heard the noise that has been haunting me for the past few days. The sound itself is hard to describe, imagine a duck mixed with a frog and a broken turkey call, but with a guttural twang to it. The sound was so unsettling, I've never heard anything like it and I've lived in the woods most of my life. Then the knocks continued. Slow repetitions followed by that horrible sound. It was still faint, distant even. I was able to finish off my cigarette and kind of ignore it. The next night I noticed the same knocking followed by that sound, but it sounded much closer, as if it was just out of sight beyond the tree line. It was loud and clear now, and that sound sent shivers down my spine. Then the knocking started to become audible from different parts of the woods, and the sound was produced by more than one thing. I was trying to focus on my cigarette so I could finish it and go back in, but the sound became overwhelming. My paranoia kicked in as the sounds surrounded me, and I started sweating, I got the feeling that I was being watched, that something was stalking me. After a few seconds of the harmony of sounds straight from a nightmare, I had to nip my cigarette in the bud and go inside. I didn't sleep well last night, the sounds were so close that they might as well be right outside my house. My girlfriend is visiting her family, so I'm here all alone which is making my paranoia act far worse than usual. I tried to turn up the TV so that I couldn't hear it, and that worked until I decided to sleep. I'm the kind of guy who likes to sleep in total darkness, but when I was lying down, I heard a soft tapping on my window. Shortly after, I heard the god-awful sound that those things make. 
My blinds were shut and my curtain was pulled over, so nothing could see out or in. I didn't bother looking out though, I was too terrified. I really need some advice, I've gotten hardly any sleep, and I can only leave my house in confidence during the daytime. Simply leaving my house isn't an option, and my girlfriend will be coming home next week. I've told no one about this yet, how could I explain these things? Anything that you may have to offer would be much appreciated, thanks in advance guys. Part 2. A few days had passed from my first post, and things were continuing as they had been for weeks. The knocking slash growling, or whatever you want to call it, continued every night. It seemed to stay just outside of my tree line, and I did my best to ignore it. Last Saturday, I heard a loud sound in the middle of the night, I waited until the morning to investigate. When I walked outside with my cigarette the next day, a large section of my fence was broken down, bent in a very unusual fashion. I took pictures of it, and I can upload them to Imgur or something if anyone is interested. Anyway, at this point I broke down and confronted my neighbor to see if he had anything to tell me about this. He seemed distant about the subject, but he told me that he used to camp out in the woods when hunting, and that he began to experience the same type of thing. Not wanting to tell him that it terrified me, I told him about the fence and how it was becoming hard to sleep because of the noise. He suggested an idea that I was scared to follow through with at first, but we wound up doing. After sharing a bottle of Jack Daniels and discussing our ideas about what we were dealing with, the plan went into motion. Our blood fused with whiskey and pumping through our veins, some warm clothes, and two shotguns, we sat outside the following Tuesday night. We sat in the shadow of the barn that sits by my fence in silence, solemnly passing the bottle back and forth. The sounds kicked up around 12 am, so we sat perfectly still and waited for something, anything, to happen. The rustling in the woods got louder, the growls got more intense, and my grip on that shotgun was like a castaway clinging to driftwood. I began to wonder what the f we were thinking, we didn't even know what was running through our woods. Crack. My neighbor's shotgun shot off as a stick cracked directly behind us. We both spun around, half falling over and obviously terrified. Nothing was there, but as the resonance from the gunshot died down, so did the rustling and growling. We both stood there for a good 10 minutes, just staring into the darkness. Silently agreeing that we had done enough, we parted ways and went back to our houses. The new silence that engulfed my house was even more unpleasant than the constant and overwhelming knocking. I could hardly concentrate, I had become so used to the sounds, that the absence of them drove me wild. I eventually got myself to get some sleep, but it wasn't deep sleep by any means. The rest of that week, even leading up to tonight, escalated from returning to normal, to hell on earth. My girlfriend came home two nights ago, and I have yet to tell her about the occurrences. I'm running out of things to do, and it seems that every night the darkness is inching closer and the knocking is worse than ever. When the knocking did start up again, it was worse. It was less of a hushed thing, and now it was loud, angry sounding. The knocking was also at closer intervals, but the episodes of knocking and growling last shorter amounts of time. Again, I'm sorry for the slow update and I know this post is probably all messed up, but I've barely gotten any sleep lately. I'll do my best to clean this up if it needs it, 
and I'll keep you all updated as events occur. I always try to drive at night as much as possible. There is much less traffic and my plans were to get a motel room in Peoria, grab some sleep, and visit my sick friend in the morning. I was driving through an area with a fairly narrow strip of pretty thick woods on both sides and a large body of water called Rice Lake quite close on the other side of the trees to my right. There was almost no other traffic and I had slowed down a little in fear of a deer running out in front of me. Well, something did run out in front of me, but it was definitely not a deer. It was obviously a Bigfoot. I knew that as soon as I saw it, but it didn't look like what I expected one to look like if I ever had the chance to see one. It was well over six feet tall, maybe even topping seven feet, and was covered all over with fairly long hair, maybe four to six inches. But the most striking thing about it was that its hair was white. Actually, it wasn't snow white, but instead had kind of a slight cream-colored tint to it. I have never heard of a white Bigfoot before. It was not actually running, but its steps were so long that it was covering quite a bit of ground with each one. It never did turn its head to face me completely, just kind of glanced in my direction as if to make sure I wasn't too close, but from what I could tell it had thinner hair on its face and looked pretty well like a human. Because of his color, I tried to get a look at the eye color, since an albino of any species usually has pink eyes, these were definitely dark in color, probably brown. My dream job was to work with the national parks. Ever since I was a young boy, I always dreamed of being a park ranger, patrolling campgrounds and chatting with some of the friendly campers, hiking trails to make sure everything was easily maneuverable, and just spending time in nature. Being in nature has always been my way of disconnecting from reality. Whenever things got stressful in life, I would hit the trails, or go backpacking for a few days, or rent a campsite in some remote area in the woods. My parents were never supportive of my goals they would have much rather seen the letters MD after my name, or my face on a billboard advertising towards people who were involved in traffic collisions. Oh well. I put in an application for one of the county parks near my house, not really expecting much out of it. I was fresh out of high school, no college experience yet, flipping hamburgers and dealing with people who find a reason to complain and everything, so there was no harm at all in putting out applications. I pulled up a Google Map directory of every local, state, county, and national park in my state, California, and submitted applications wherever I saw openings. I even called a few parks that I really liked to see if they had any positions available, but hadn't any luck for months. My bank account was starting to dwindle as a result of constant maintenance on my 3 Civic, which had been put through more than the manufacturers could have ever designed the cars to experience, and I was starting to stress. I would pinch my pennies together at gas stations, skip meals altogether when I didn't have anything readily available at home, and try to cruise 55 on the freeways to be more efficient with what little fuel I had. I definitely didn't expect this to be my reality after high school, but I guess I should've, my parents kicked me out the minute they found out I was gay, and I was left living in my car for months until I found someone who would let me crash on their couch. It was really mentally challenging, 
just trying to convince myself to keep going through everything, but I had this gut feeling that things would work out eventually. I know it sounds kinda weird, but this life wasn't half bad. I mean, I saved a fair bit of money on rent because Dylan let me sleep on his couch at night for free. I took my Civic with me wherever I drove to the beaches, the forests and mountains east, the deserts. Sleeping in the car wasn't too bad, I wasn't exactly the most picky camper in the world and knew that it was cheaper than renting a hotel every night. Eventually, I'd have loved to get a van or an SUV to have more room, but for now the rusty bucket of problems we call a Civic would have to work. I remember the day that I got the email. I had just checked my bank account balance to see that I had $7.80 left. I was a few thousand miles over when I should have gotten my oil changed, and my front brakes were squeaking again most likely as a result of the axle leaking grease and corroding them. Like I said, rusty bucket of problems. An email was in my inbox that read, National Park Service, immediately hiring full-time ranger, must be willing to relocate. Base salary 65,000. Respond for info. I'd never been a religious lad, but this felt like a godsend. I'd never seen more than $5,000 in my bank account at one time, let alone 65,000 a year? As a base salary? Of course I had to reply to them, and send a message that read, Hi there. I'm Jake, a wilderness enthusiast based in California. I'd love to learn more about your opening with the National Park Service. I am willing to relocate wherever, although it might take time for me to get there. Let me know if you'd like to interview me. I attached a copy of my resume, which had a fair bit of information that would have proved I was the right candidate for the job. Ample experience in the wilderness, knowledge on most survival skills, excellent physical shape, good worth ethic. I had beefed up my resume as much as possible, I don't know if I would have been able to forgive myself if they said I was unqualified or didn't get the position. That wouldn't have been an issue though about 24 hours later, I got a response from a woman by the name of Abigail inviting me to do a tele-interview a day later. I started to feel giddy with excitement at the prospect of finally landing my dream job with the National Park Service. Not only that, but having accommodation, stable income, and being able to spend time surrounded by the beauty of nature is all I could ask for in life. I set a reminder on my laptop that I had an interview, and hastily jotted down the number that she said she would be calling me from. I tried so hard to focus at work that day, but it felt like I was stumbling over orders and making careless mistakes again and again. Every time I slipped up, the manager walked over and yelled at me, then muttered to herself in Spanish and walked away. I was so close to quitting on the spot, but something told me to hold off just a bit longer, until I know for sure if I got the new job yet. Fast forward to the next day, Abigail called me about 5 minutes late. She asked me pretty basic questions my past work experience, my work ethic, asked me to describe some of the experience I have had in the wilderness and what knowledge I can bring to the team. I answered her questions honestly, and very thoughtfully making sure to reference real-world scenarios whenever possible so she didn't think I was bluffing with all the experience I claimed to have. It seemed to be going great, and I was certain I would the position. I was smiling wider than I had smiled in months, when she asked me the question that sticks with me to this day, 
Are you afraid of what lurks in the shadows of the trees at night, Jake? It took me a minute to figure out how to respond to this. I didn't expect her to ask me that when I was going over interview questions the night before, I planned just about everything out, even some follow-up questions to ask her about the position that would show how interested I am. I had not prepared for this. I'd never been afraid of the woods, or any nature at all. I had no reason to be, I knew everything there was to know about defending myself. I could use a knife pretty well, was a great aim with a crossbow and had even made my own bows before out of materials in the woods. I didn't exactly believe in supernatural beings or demonic entities, so there was no reason to be afraid. Still, her question unsettled me a little bit. I tried to convince myself that it was just a joke and she wasn't serious, but the lack of laughter matching my nervous laughter shot that theory down pretty quickly. I took a deep breath, then responded, I've never been afraid of the shadows and the trees. I do just fine in the wilderness, and I've never been in a situation where I feel like I lost control. Her response sent chills up my spine, I reckon you should be, honey. She's always watching, even if it feels like she left. No matter how far you go, she'll always be a few steps behind you. She's always smiling, too. If you dare ignore. Abigail cut off as she began talking to someone else on her end of the line, assumingly a co-worker or another park ranger. She eventually put herself on mute, and I spent a few moments processing what had happened. Who is she? What happens if you ignore her? I felt a bit uneasy, but then realized that Abigail works with the parks. I feel like, to work with the NPS, you have to be at least a bit crazy. Not many people would want to give up the luxuries of fast internet, guaranteed electricity, and a healthy social life to live alone in the middle of the woods patrolling and yelling at people who started fires outside of fire pits. Even if you weren't crazy getting in, chances are by the time you retire you'll have a therapist on speed dial. I tried to chalk it up to being that, an older lady who was starting to lose her mind, and brushed it off as no big deal. Just as I came to my conclusion, I heard Abigail's voice on the other end of the line again, congratulations Jake. You're perfect for the position. We're going to send you a ticket for your plane that'll be embarking to Alaska to start in Denali National Park in three days. Do you have any more questions? I froze for a minute. I was going to Alaska in three days. This moment was honestly the happiest of my life thus far the realization that everything I had dreamed of was starting to fall into place. I was likely going to be surrounded by millions of trees, millions of acres of land, and one of the most beautiful landscapes the world has to offer. It had been my dream to visit Alaska one day, and now I got to live there, and get paid to do so. But, I had to find out more. I wanted to know what she meant earlier about the girl who watches you. Even though I'm almost positive it was nothing, I wanted to hear it from her, just to ease my racing mind. I decided to start with a pretty general question, what should I bring with me? I asked. She responded quickly, just your clothing, and anything you might want in your station. Phone, laptop and charger, winter clothing, a few decorations or memories from home any other weird gadgets you love, and maybe a pocket knife. We'll provide everything else you need. I didn't exactly have a lot to my name, aside from my car and a few boxes of crap that I had collected over the years, 
so I figured I'd pack light. I had to do a bit of shopping for winter clothing, as it's never cold enough to warrant heavy jackets in Southern California, but that would be a lot easier when I had the couple hundred dollars my car was worth in pocket. I felt like we were comfortable enough with each other, so I asked the question, you said something earlier about a woman who watches you? I asked hesitantly, half expecting her to hang up on me and deny me the job right then and there. But she chuckled, and responded, oh, sorry about that. Sometimes, my brain acts all wonky with these interviews. She cleared her throat, and continued, it was just one of those moments, nothing to be afraid about. That explanation resonated with me, and I thanked her for her time and hung up. I could hardly sleep at night anticipation for my flight and vivid dreams about the forests, the wildlife, and life as a ranger filed my thoughts constantly. One night, it got so hard, I had to take Benadryl just to make myself drowsy enough to get a few hours of shut eye. It was the day of the flight. Dylan helped me with my bags, and drove me to the airport. I decided I would give him the rest of the money I had, as I was sure there wouldn't be any convenience stores where I was heading, and left him everything I couldn't take with me. I don't know if he was just taking it so I didn't have to lug it down to Goodwill or deal with the horror commonly known as Facebook Marketplace, but I appreciated it either way. I entered the terminal, scanned my boarding pass and checked my duffel bags, and carried a pack with me that had all my technology, crappy point-and-shoot camera I'd saved for years, my laptop, cell phone with contacts of the few people I wanted to remain close with, and a few notebooks because I loved writing. Of course, I had all my hiking gear packed. Even though they said they'd provide me with gear of my own when I got there, it was too difficult to part with the shoes and poles and things that had kept me going for so many years when I had nothing else to look forward to. I boarded my plane, threw my backpack in the overhead stowaway bin, and prepared for takeoff. This was it. The moment that my entire life's hoping and working had culminated into. Every struggle I had, every moment of doubt whether I wanted to keep pushing on through the poverty and pain was gone. My dreams were about to become a reality. I braced myself for takeoff, and shut my eyes to get a little bit of rest while the plane began its six-hour journey towards Alaska. The plane touched down at Anchorage International, and it would be a short drive to get to the park where I would be stationed. I was greeted by a friendly face who I assumed to be Abigail. She was a frail woman, most likely in her late fifties, but had this fire in her eyes. She didn't look tough, but I had to assume she was a lot stronger than her appearance put on. Behind her was a man, about my height and a little more muscular, I assumed he would be training me or working with me at my post. Neither of them said much, other than exchanging basic pleasantries, and I was instructed to follow her to the van that they had arranged for transportation. The minute I stepped foot out of the airport, I was in shock. Alaska was absolutely beautiful I'd seen pictures of it before, watched a few shows on television when I used to have cable, and of course seen plenty of YouTube videos that people put out there, but it's just so much more incredible in person. The trees in the distance, the chilly air that just felt so much fresher than the city air, the dynamic of people in the area all felt so surreal. It truly felt like home. Home, something I really needed at that point in my life. We got in the van, 
a small white transit that definitely showed some signs of use, and headed north, towards Denali National Park. I sat next to the muscular man whose name I learned to be Zeke, Abigail had left a bit earlier. I guess it was just me and Zeke right now, and the person driving the van who had a weird love for classical music. I put one of my earbuds in, knowing that I probably wouldn't get a lot of time to listen to music during orientation, and enjoyed the drive as the sun started to sleepily duck down under the huge snow-capped mountains to my right. Eventually, we got to the ranger station. It was a small building, but from the outside it looked very inviting. The walls were made of wood, and the lights had a yellowish glow to them. There were windows on all sides, and a little check-in desk for those who are driving through. Surrounding the ranger station were towering green trees which I recognized to be primarily white spruce, and to the left a bit there was a building that looked like some form of bathroom connected to a garage. I had gotten to know Zeke a bit on the ride up. He was pretty quiet, but we had a lot of similarities. He was only a few years older than I was, and had also been kicked out of his house by his family, although he wouldn't tell me why. Zeke grew up in Montana, in a small town near Glacier National Park, and fell in love with the surroundings. He told me he'd been working for the national parks for a year now, and was bumped up to one of the lead positions at Denali. I really felt like I could get along with Zeke, although there was something a bit off about him. It felt like he was hiding something. It had to have been the voice, it sounded as if there was some underlying fear or anxiety in his tone. Oh well, he seemed to be a really good person, and I'd be working with him indefinitely, so there was an obligation to get along to some extent. If something happened to one of us, we had to be able to depend on the other for help. I wasn't used to this, and I knew it wouldn't come as easy as the textbooks make it feel, but it was something I could work towards. As the van pulled up to the garage next to the facilities, I motioned to get out, but Zeke reached over me and pulled the door shut once more. You're not stopping here he said, with a grin, you'll be stationed in a tower about 5 miles north, in the forests. Everything you need should be there a hunting rifle, clothing, gear, your phone and the numbers that you may need to call, and a handbook with all the information that you'll need for now. He paused for a moment, then continued, I know it sounds silly, but make sure to read every page in the handbook. It's not that long, and the last guy who didn't. I could see a look of regret on Zeke's face as he realized that he had shared too much, well, he had to replace somehow, and that's why you're here. It must have been evident that I had a look of shock on my face. I wish I had known this before I signed up for the position, but I guess it made sense. You're working in a remote area in the wilderness, all kinds of wildlife could cut your life short. If you don't know everything there is to know about the area, you could be caught with your pants down with a hungry bear looking right up at you, so to speak. I smiled, and said I'll read it all. Don't worry. The expression on his face appeared genuine, and Zeke waved as he jumped out of the van and headed towards the ranger station. I adjusted around a bit, and put my feet up against the vacant left side of the van. The driver didn't say a thing, and kept on driving. As the forest got denser and denser, the road felt bumpier and bumpier. Even though it didn't exactly feel like a godsend cab ride, I felt like I was in heaven. Surrounded by trees, people who also love nature, 
and I was making. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, ninety-six percent replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a thirty-night guarantee. Plus, get fifteen percent off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands, and they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. More money doing this than I would have made in three years at McDonald's. Maybe this is the closest to heaven I'll ever be. Just as I was starting to drift into sleep, I saw a huge tower in the distance. It was probably 85 feet tall and had a metal staircase that wrapped around the tower frame and led into a cabin, supposedly where I was to sleep and watch from. The driver pulled off a bit, got out of the car, and opened my door. I jumped out as well and gave my legs a moment to adjust to standing up again after hours of riding in a bumpy van. Here you are, lad. You got about a quarter mile walk to the tower through the forest to the right. He motioned his arm towards a huge expanse of trees that was surrounding the tower. It appeared as if some of the trees were taller than the tower itself. It was absolutely beautiful. I thanked him, shook his hand, put my gloves on, and began the hike towards my new home. The tower itself was amazing. It looked relatively new. The only evidence that anyone had lived in it before were the footprints gathered around the base of the steps. As I ascended the metal staircase that lead into the sky, I couldn't help but gawk at the beautiful expanse of forest that surrounded me. For miles and miles, all I could see were towering trees, mountains, and there was a small lake a bit to the west. Considering the only light that was guiding me at this point was that from the full moon and the stars that shone in the sky, it was amazing how well I could see. It was such a contrast from the mundane city views that I had grown to abhor and beat any hike or backpacking trip I had ever done by a long shot. A bright orange light helped me find the door. There were windows on three of the four sides of the tower, the fourth being the wall my bed was up against. When I entered the small cabin, there was a gunmetal filing cabinet and a wooden desk right next to the bed and a locker which I presumed to hold all of my new belongings and the rifle. Around the unit were posters from various parks in Alaska, 
a few pictures of the staff team, and little notes about things you can see from each window. On the wooden desk was a handbook, assumingly the one I was informed about earlier. There was a black phone connected to a landline, and a little memo pad that was turned upside down. I spent a few hours reading the handbook, nothing out of the ordinary. It outlined what I was supposed to be doing, some of the standard operating procedures for common events, and gave me a breakdown of the wildlife and the plants that I would likely encounter. There was a map on one of the last pages that showed my tower in relation to the other towers throughout the park and the headquarters Zeke got dropped off at. For the most part, I was just fire watch and patrolling for now every two days, I would hike a trail nearby my station and make sure that no fallen logs or huge grizzly corpses stopped trekkers and trucks from exploring the park. There was a page that detailed some of the things more experienced rangers got to do, experiments with local research teams, assessing weather conditions, tagging and tracking animals through the forests, and cutting unhealthy trees into firewood to be used at the ranger station and sold in the nearest town to benefit the forest. I assumed that there would be tours as well, but no mention of those was in the handbook. I was about to turn away when I remembered that there was a little memo pad right next to me. It looked pretty worn down, the cover was entirely faded when I turned it over, except for big words on the front that read, 5 most important things. I assumed that it was general notes on things that were happening nearby in real time. The handbook was likely a bit outdated, and the notebook allowed rangers to write down what was happening and leave reminders on current events that any new hirees would need to know. But when I flipped to the first page, I felt a cold shiver run down my spine through my body. In chicken scratch handwriting, it read. 1. You work alone. I glanced around the room, and didn't see anyone else with me. I figured that I would be working alone when I got to the park and Zeke got out. But it felt so. Dark. The writing felt like it was written as a warning of sorts, in case somebody else tried to pretend they worked there. Is it possible that some of the local backpackers tried to pretend to work with the parks in order to steal, or worse? I flipped the page, and once again, that shiver ran down my spine as I read the handwritten words. 2. She will not help you. I flipped the page again, anxiously glancing around the room trying to figure out who she was. 3. If you hear her crying, run. I practically ripped the page off of the memo pad as I flipped again to see what was on the following page. 4. If you see her, it's too late. I slammed the book against the counter and started pacing around the room. I knew that I was getting myself into a job that could be dangerous, but who was she? What kind of tasks was I really doing here? aside from watching for fires and hiking trails. I really wanted to know more, and soon. But, I was starting to get tired, and wouldn't be able to get very far with the intense jet lag and the lack of sleep recently. I took off my shirt and boots, and set my backpack down next to the cot I'd be sleeping in. It was actually quite comfortable at least, more comfortable than sleeping on a couch had been. I decided to sleep with a utility belt on knife, flashlight, and a FN57 pistol that I had found in the locker. Just in case. All of this would blow over in the morning, when I got answers I'm sure. At least, that's what I told myself, 
as I tossed and turned in bed for 20 minutes trying to calm my nerves. I awoke to the sound of rain pattering against the roof of the tower. Great, I thought, I won't be able to hike down to the station in this weather. I got up, cleared my eyes and blew my nose, and looked out the window. There was a heavy fog surrounding the tower, and I could barely see the trees closest to me, let alone the lake or the ranger station. I decided to look through the handbook one last time and see if I could find any phone numbers to the ranger station. When I looked through the night before, I found no mention of the phone at all, and no idea how to reach others in case of emergencies. I guess it's very possible that I was too groggy and missed a key detail. I started walking towards the wooden desk, when I froze. Someone was coming up my tower. I instinctively put my hand on my hip, where my 5.7 was stored, and was ready to pull it out and fire. Just as I started to raise the gun, I saw a young woman's face in the window. She was wearing typical ranger attire, a heavy snow jacket, cargo pants, heavy boots. She had a utility belt on as well, with a knife and a gun similar to mine on her waist. I, laughing at my stupidity for almost killing a fellow ranger, put the gun back in its holster and opened the door. Hi, I'm Autumn. I just wanted to say hi to the new guy. She blushed, and pointed out through my window, towards where the entrance to the park would have been, most of the times, you can find me at the main headquarters. Sometimes, I like to work with the new recruits until they're comfortable with their duties. If you want, I can take you on a little tour, when the weather clears up a bit. She was soaking wet, her hair looked fresh out of the shower. She had to have trekked at least five miles to get here, through heavy rain and terrible conditions. There was no way I would say no to letting her stay a bit. Plus, it was starting to get colder if she got caught out while it was snowing with soaked clothing, chances are it wouldn't end well. You can stay here for a bit, if you'd like. I just woke up a few minutes ago. I was looking for a manual on how to use the phone, because I had a couple questions. I can't find any phone numbers, or any information about how to contact the headquarters, I said pointing towards the phone. She chuckled, and replied. Oh, those phones don't work. They're really just an aesthetic at this point. The lines used to be up and running, but now they're good as dead. You'd have to walk down to the headquarters to ask, but since I'm here, you may as well ask me. I felt embarrassed to ask about the notes in the notepad, so I quickly put together a random thought, what do we do about getting food here? Do they do supply runs to resupply the towers, or do you have to walk to pick up your own? I mean, it wasn't a bad question at all. Besides, I was getting hungry, and couldn't find any food around the room. They'll bring it by in a few hours, she said, smiling, it's not exactly what I'd call comfort food, but it fills the stomach and gives you the energy you need to keep trekking. I smiled thinking back to all the times that I had gone hungry because I couldn't afford to eat. I wasn't eager to tell Autumn my entire life story, so I stayed silent. But the prospect of getting food handed to me, and decent, livable food, made me livid with excitement. By the way, HQ told me to tell you that there was an incident on one of the trails not too far from here. Since it's in your territory, they want you to check it out. Something about a boulder that's obstructing the path, 
I guess it became dislodged with the rain and rolled down the hill. I didn't realize how long it had been raining I guess it had to have started while I was sleeping, since there was a steady pour by the time I awoke. I'll check it out when the weather clears up. Do you know where it is? It's west of here. If you look on the map in your handbook, you'll see a trail called Boulder Ridge Loop. It's a 7-mile loop trail that goes around a mountain. I laughed, ironic, ha. Huh? The boulder destroyed the Boulder Ridge Loop. Do you know exactly how much more rain we're going to get tonight? She shook her head. Not sure, to be honest. Chances are, it'll get light for a few hours, then start raining pretty heavily again. If I were you, when it starts to ease, I would head out as fast as you can, and try to assess what happened. She paused for a moment, then continued. I'd be more than happy to tag along if you'd like the company. To help, plus it might be difficult to determine the trailheads on your first full day. That sounds great. I'm going to get changed and start getting ready, so we can leave in an instant. She started walking towards the door, and said I'll wait near the trailhead. Don't dilly-dally too long, buddy. She gave me a friendly wave, and jogged down the metal steps. Autumn seemed like a nice person. She was pretty attractive, friendly, and seemed knowledgeable. I put on a heavy rain jacket that was in my locker, when I realized something. I sprinted over to the desk, and grabbed the memo pad. Turning back to page 1, I traced the scratched letters with my fingertip, 1. You work alone. I flipped the page again. 2. She will not help you. I started to panic. I couldn't go out with her. I had already broken two of the rules that were in the memo pad. There was no way for me to reach the ranger station to ask them for clarification. I tried to be rational. Maybe she doesn't work with me, and she's just telling me my duties, I thought, trying to alleviate the anxiety from my mind. But it didn't help at all. I spent about an hour pacing back and forth, back and forth, until I noticed that the rain had started to lighten up. I began to pace faster and faster, looking through drawer upon drawer, trying to find something that could help me. Maybe a mobile phone, or a map so I could find the trail myself, or keys to some truck that was out of plain sight nearby. I couldn't find anything. Hours and hours passed, until I noticed that the sky was getting darker and darker. God damn it, I thought to myself, I didn't get a chance to do anything today except worry. I turned the light on with the switch in the cabin, and went back over to look through the handbook, once again hoping that I missed something that would help me in this situation. But I found nothing new. I looked outside, and could see nothing once again. There was a heavy fog all around the tower, and it was pitch black out. It must have been at least 10pm. I was considering calling it a night and trying to get some sleep when I heard a faint voice call out from the bottom of the tower. Hey! Are you coming? Oh god, she's back I thought to myself. I had the pistol on my waist, but grabbed a hunting rifle. Something was very off about this place, about Autumn. At first, I thought I could trust her but at this point, I didn't know if I could trust anybody. I started to crawl slowly towards the door. I put my back against the thin frame of metal that separated the door and the wide glass window, and peered out. I saw Autumn standing at the base of the tower, staring up at me. Her eyes were wide as saucers, 
and she was smiling. Not your typical smile this smile was dark, twisted, scary. It didn't quiver one bit, and she didn't lose her gaze once, even when I looked away. Hello? I heard her call out. I peeked again, and she was now looking to the left, no longer right at me. I reached for the door, and slowly creaked it open, when I heard it. I heard her begin wailing. Not your typical I stubbed my toe on a coffee table while her screams were piercing. It was impossible to think straight, even the constant pour of rain couldn't drown out her wailing. I remembered the third number in the memo pad, and began to shake. 3. If you hear her crying, run. I swung open the door, and started to run down, when her gaze immediately locked onto me. Her eyes had turned pure white, and she immediately stopped wailing and smiled once more. Saliva dripped down from her teeth and she began to laugh as she locked her eyes with mine. And if that wasn't bad enough, blood began to pour out of her eyes. I'm not talking a little bit, it was running down her face, and collecting in the collar of her ranger jacket. Her once beautiful hair was beginning to fall out by the second, and she began to tremble uncontrollably, as if she was about to explode. 4. If she sees you, it's too late. In a split second, I drew my hunting rifle. She began to sprint up the stairs, faster than any animal I had ever encountered. Her steps were effortless, and didn't stumble one bit. I immediately aimed at her and fired. A bullet hit her right in the chest, and I saw her smiling corpse fall through the cracks between the metal steps. A pool of blood erupted from her body, and she lie motionless. I sprinted back into the tower, leaving my rifle on the deck, and slammed the door shut. With all the strength I had left, I pushed a filing cabinet against the metal cabin door, and immediately collapsed against the cold metal, as I listened to the rain drum against the roof of my tower. I was in shock. Drained, exhausted, confused, and afraid. I don't know what that thing was, but it would bother me no more. I felt a wave of relief rush over me. All I had to do was make it to morning. I could get to the ranger headquarters, and get the F out of this place. Out of this cursed forest. Out of this shitty metal tower. Away from this demonic creature that called itself Autumn. That brings us to the present moment. I'm sitting here, phone in my hand, writing this up on my notepad app. However, I just need to check something. I remembered the title of the memo pad said that there weren't four things, but five. I glanced over at the title of the memo pad as I expected, it read five most important things. I thumbed through the pages. 1. You work alone. 2. She will not help you. 3. If you hear her crying, run. 4. If she sees you, it's too late. I paused for a moment, then turned the page once more. Simultaneously as I turned the page, I heard that familiar pounding of feet sprinting up the stairs. Heavy, heavy, feet. And the sobbing was back, somehow twice as loud as it was before. I looked at the words on page 5, and dropped the memo pad to the floor in fear. 5. Do not try to kill her under any condition. She does not die. I saw six flying manta rays in a line with equal spacing. 
judging the distance in relation to airliners coming to land at Philadelphia International, their width was twice the length of an airliner. The coloration was silver-slash-blue with a glow to it. Their form of locomotion was quite strange. They had an erratic undulation from side to side. Almost like they were tacking through a wild river current. I was amazed they were able to propel themselves forward in this fashion, let alone stay aloft. Their speed was comparable to a small plane. I watched them continue to travel east toward New Jersey for five minutes until they became too small to watch. They appeared to be real creatures. The only thing that bothered me was that strange color and glow. I wondered if their skin was excited by the sun. I had the feeling if you were directly under them, they could be translucent. I always thought there should be creatures living in the skies, but we know nothing about them. Being translucent makes sense, as one of the reasons creatures are not seen more often. I waited several months to report this sighting. I wanted independent confirmation from the FAA and other government agencies, but none was forthcoming. My location was Central Bucks County, Pennsylvania. On the border with Montgomery County. I met a guy at a stock show and we were talking about hunting and he's a predator caller. And he called one up in the Black Hills, South Dakota and he and another guy and his friend won't go hunting with him anymore. He showed me a picture of the footprint, his foot next to it and it was like three times the length of his foot. It was like 10 or 11 size foot. It was in the brush screaming and yelling at them and breaking stuff. He kind of wanted me to go hunting with him but, you know, I've never seen one and I don't know if I want to be lucky enough or unlucky to run into it. Here's the other spooky story. Now, this isn't a first-hand report to me but the friend that told me said the man that told him, and he knew the man that told him this story. He said he had no reason to lie to me, and it was in the limestone area which is on the western side of the Black Hills and he had a lumber contract out there. Instead of going out around, he decided to walk across a meadow and go on the back side of it. And the man claimed, this is what my friend Ronald told me, the man walked up on a baby Bigfoot in a grass nest out there in a meadow. It had humanoid features. All by itself only it was, like, twice the size of the human baby or something like that. He walked up on it in this nest, in the grass, in this meadow and he turned around and walked back out and he didn't go back until the next day. When he went back, the nest was empty, and off they went. I was driving home from work on a misty night in October of 2019. I had just crossed the border from Pennsylvania into Maryland on Route 15 South. I was between Emmitsburg and Thurmont and listening to music on the radio, trying to stay awake and alert. As I approached Little Owens Creek I saw something move in the corner of my eye. I slowed down and looked to my right toward the creek and trees. What I saw next took my breath away. I slammed on the brakes. There was a large creature standing on two legs by the side of the road, clear as day. It looked like a hybrid of a wolf and a man with dark fur and a long snout, pointed ears, and bright yellow eyes. It had muscular arms, legs, and long claws on its hands. I couldn't see the feet. It was six to seven feet tall and it had a long tail that was wagging slowly. The upright creature stared at me as I skidded to a halt. 
It then let out a loud and terrifying howl that reverberated throughout my car and body. The sound was more stark than any horror film howl. It created a surge of fear and panic in me. The beast took a step toward me and then another. The expression on its face was that of anger. I didn't know what to do. I was practically paralyzed by fear and I could only watch as the creature moved a few steps closer. At that moment, bright lights from a vehicle behind flashed behind me, and then the sound of a horn blared. The driver slowly drove by me on the left. The creature also noticed the light in the horn. It turned its head to look at the other vehicle. I quickly stepped on the accelerator and I sped forward. I didn't stop for anything until I got home in Frederick. When I walked in the house my wife could see that I was upset. I told her what I witnessed. She begged me not to tell anyone. I didn't have my cell in the car, by the way. But I doubt that I would have called the police. It's been almost four years since my encounter. I have continuously looked for references to a similar creature. The road to my objective wound parallel to a dike, its path meandering close to the serene waters of the Muresh River. On the opposite side of the road stretched out a smooth, undisturbed plain. It was a tranquil setting, a far cry from the bustling town I had left behind. As I walked, I couldn't help but appreciate the beauty of nature around me, and little did I know that this serene journey would soon take a bewildering turn. About one kilometer away from the last houses of the town, the road came to an abrupt end at a bend in the embankment. It was there, at that unexpected terminus, that my encounter with the inexplicable began. I clambered up the embankment and, as I reached its edge, my gaze was drawn to a most peculiar sight. Approximately seven meters away from where I stood, arranged in a semicircle, were about five dogs. They stood still, oddly silent, their attention fully riveted on something in front of them. And there, in the center of their attention, stood an entity that defied all comprehension. The being before me was unlike anything I had ever encountered or even imagined. It stood at least one meter tall, its head elongated to an eerie extreme, devoid of any discernible features such as eyes, nose, or mouth. Its torso was disproportionately long compared to its limbs, which were no more than 25 centimeters in length and similar in both diameter and proportion. The upper limbs appeared smooth, devoid of any discernible joints or growths. There were no telltale signs of gender, no elements to identify it as male or female. The most astonishing aspect, however, was the being's skin or covering, a pitch-black substance that seemed entirely alien to the natural world. This strange entity had me utterly captivated, but it also filled me with a sense of unease and uncertainty. As if reacting to my presence, the dogs abruptly broke their silence and started to run back towards the town, vanishing into the distance. Simultaneously, the enigmatic being began to move, retreating towards the Muresh River. Its movement was nothing short of remarkable, an astonishing blend of swift steps and kangaroo-like jumps. Remarkably, during its retreat, not a single sound emanated from the being except for the occasional crunch of ice giving way beneath its weight. The footprints left behind were far from human, they were flattened circles, unlike anything I had ever seen before. The river lay before me, 
its flow reduced to a mere trickle at that time, with a riverbed reaching depths of two meters. This terrain prevented me from pursuing the strange entity any further. For a few moments, I stood there, both fascinated and bewildered, my senses overwhelmed by what I had just witnessed. It took me a minute or two to gather my wits and, driven by curiosity and a strange compulsion, I decided to follow the trail left by the mysterious being. For the next two hours, I combed the grove along the riverbank, but despite my best efforts, I could find no trace of it. I was certain that it had not entered the water, for the wide beach bore no marks, and the unfrozen snow remained undisturbed, its surface as smooth as untouched sand. It was during this search that I noticed a curious transformation in the environment. The place where the strange being had stood emitted an intense, pungent smell of chlorine. However, upon returning to the spot after two hours, this scent had metamorphosed into a powerful odor of ozone, tingling my senses. My encounter with this enigmatic being haunted my thoughts for a long time. I grappled with its existence and the conditions under which our paths had crossed. I was a rational person, one who did not believe in ghosts, devils, extraterrestrial beings, angels, or any such entities. Yet, that day, amid the clarity of the weather and the untamed wilderness surrounding me, I had experienced something that defied all logical explanation, a memory etched into my mind, impossible to forget. In the summer of 2011, my 12-year-old twin sons were having a friend sleep over. We live in a three-story house and all three of the boys were in the basement area playing. I was on the second floor sitting on my couch reading a book. It was early evening around dusk. All was peaceful other than the ruckus the boys were making downstairs. I was sitting there half reading my book when the boys all came running loudly up the stairs. The stairwell door was on a sliding mechanism and when they got to the top, instead of sliding it, they sort of pushed on it and it came off the track. With it off the track, it could swing back and forth. I told them I would fix the door later. Anyway, they left the door off the track and all three went running up to their third floor bedroom to play. I was still on the couch when only a few seconds after all three had just gone upstairs, I saw my son come around the corner lift his arm, push the now swinging stairwell door open, and move down the steps. He never lifted his head to look at me. His head was down the entire time, and he never said why he was going back down there. My first thought was that he looked a bit odd and moved kind of strangely. Then I thought, why didn't he say anything? Then I figured he left something down there. This all took a matter of maybe two to three seconds when suddenly, I heard his voice laughing and talking loudly upstairs. I freaked out. I jumped off the couch ran over to the stairwell looked down and called his name but he didn't answer. I swear to god this is a real story and every hair on my body was standing up and I had chills. I have them now just writing about it, so, I ran upstairs and saw him sitting on the floor with his brother and their friend playing. Even though I knew it was completely impossible for him to be downstairs and upstairs at the same time, I asked him if he had somehow just gone into the basement. He of course said no. I swept the basement looking for a person. I checked doors and windows and closets even though I knew that whatever that thing was, it looked exactly like my 12-year-old son. 
It was as solid as a real person and was wearing exactly the same clothes my son had on. It was the same size as him and was able to push a solid door open and everything, only it moved a bit weird and never looked at me or spoke to me. Nothing else happened that night and I never could explain it or understand it, until three years later, almost to the very day that the incident happened, my son was diagnosed with leukemia. He's undergone years of terrible cancer and chemotherapy and has battled it like a warrior. He is 19 now and his treatment has now ended. He is doing great and is in remission. Praise be to the Lord. I've heard that doppelgangers portend bad luck or illness but I never thought that when I saw that thing that looked at my son it meant something bad would happen to him. But the day he was diagnosed I realized why I saw what I saw. I don't know for sure if it was some sort of warning or not because it scared the hell out of me and it felt very sinister. I pray I never ever see it again. I wish to report this anonymously, I work as a cop in the Washington, D.C. area and am intrigued by what we just saw. So my wife and kids were playing in the neighborhood playground at approximately 2019 Ours when my 10-year-old observed four stars. My wife looked up and said they were moving. I looked up to see the stars for myself and saw six to ten of these glowing balls of light flying in a straight line, heading northeast from the Hybla Valley area of Virginia, right off US-1. I managed to catch the tail end of the formation on video but lost focus while attempting to zoom in. One of the lights veered away northbound near the end of the formation. I moved to higher ground to see if I could catch the rest of the flight path but they disappeared. My wife, kids, and multiple witnesses in the playground saw the lights. I'm guessing drones but I'm not sure, I guess we saw UFOs. <laughs> 